You're listening to The Soundboard with Craig and Ben on Anchor.fm. Every song has a story. Music, for as long as we know it, has served both utilitarian purposes or filled a need for artistic expression. For us, music has connected with life's biggest and smallest moments. And that's what's at the heart of this podcast. So, geek out with us as we explore music and how it animates day-to-day living for ourselves and our friends. Hey there, you're listening to The Soundboard. It's episode 103 with Craig and Ben. This is Ben speaking. If those of you don't know who our voice is yet, just to be really clear on that. Uh, Craig, do you want to maybe say hi? Hi, everyone. This is Craig. Now you can hear my Now voice. you know who we are, just in case you didn't, and you're just joining us for the first time. So today we're actually welcoming a guest to our podcast, and it's actually one of my good childhood friends, uh, and his name is Gavin. And Gavin and I grew up across the street from each other, Craig. I don't know if you knew that. So we go... I don't, I don't know... We go way back. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that. Gavin and I have met when, I think when you went to the Beyonce concert, right? Right. That's right. That was a time. Uh, And yeah, I stayed at Gavin's house, actually. So Gavin and I actually have a fun little music history there, I guess. We went and saw Beyonce together. So anyway, welcome, Gavin. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. You're... We're really, really, really excited to have you as well and to come be our first guest. Oh, I'm the so first one. The first one. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing, where you are, and then maybe just tell us or tell us what album you're you're going to talk about. We're really excited to to hear. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be doing this. I actually uh, had a brief period, maybe about a year, where I was doing uh, community radio and hosted a show so like to be back in sort of like a radio podcast format is kind of exciting for me just to relive those memories um but yeah like i mentioned i lived across the street uh from him when we were kids um i lived in saskatoon i guess from the fourth to the ninth grade Uh, my family moved around uh quite a bit when i was a kid um and that's maybe something I'll talk about a little bit with my relationship to the album that I chose, which is Hot Fuss by The Killers. Uh, Whoa! So good. Love it. Yeah. So many memories with this album. Yeah, it's it, yeah, because the album came out in 2004, so I guess that was sort of like right in that early teens uh, sweet spot for me. I guess I was probably like 12, 13 around that time. And also, also yeah. like the second album, uh, Sam's Town, also sort of that like early like sort of late elementary junior high early high school very formative music experience for for a lot of people i think um yeah but yeah now i'm now i live in uh in montreal but i sort of moved around Uh, my family is all living in edmonton now so um definitely having connections to albums and and musical artists has been a surprisingly big thing in my life sort of just linking the the pop music and my experience listening to it to those sort of geographic places where i'd been living um yeah so it's it's a it's a nice way to sort of walk down memory lane and even when i was going back and listening to this album again there is a lot of fun memories that sort of came flooding back listening to some of the tracks what's your first memory with hot fuss 
the earliest memories I have was uh, us being stupid kids and you wanting to, with your, your homemade camcorder, uh, just do these these homemade uh, music videos that oh we would run around God. and be stupid and, and make. So I'm trying to, I was trying to remember the ones that we did, but we definitely did um, Mr. Brightside and maybe one of the other ones yeah. off of this album. I can't quite remember. Change. Change, change your, your mind. mind yeah exactly so, <laughs> so uh, yeah That's so this so is racist. like this is how i, I really have these exactly <laughs> yeah so this is my, how i remember oh a God. lot of these songs is sort of like listening to them a million times but also just like going through and making these ridiculous music videos um for no one but ourselves, because there was no no way to like put them on YouTube. YouTube wasn't a thing yet. YouTube didn't exist, so it was it was just for our our own fun. Um, and I, I I really have to give a lot of credit to Ben for sort of being ambitious enough to try to do that kind of thing. That's wonderful. You know, like we were at a time where kids spend their time on YouTube on their tablets and stuff. And back in the day, it was like. You were the pioneers, you know. Oh, I, mean? I would love to be have been a pioneer. So, <laughs> Gavin, I'm curious to know, but like, what are some of your favorite tracks? Why? What is it that you like about them? What? Tell me, tell me more about this album for you. Um, yeah, I think "Change Your Mind" and "Mr. Brightside" are big ones for me. Um, "Smile Like You Mean It" yeah. also really amazing. But I think all these things that I've done is probably my favorite song. I think it's actually the longest one on the. Oh, maybe not. Blue Pinelli is about five minutes, but it's one of the. It seems like one of the more like epic tracks on the the album, sort of like the magnum opus of of the album, just because it's sort of the most ambitious. I was going back and listening to some of it, and like it, I didn't realize it until like recently, but it, it really sounds like a first album for a band. Like, there's nothing that's like super groundbreaking, and especially how the Killers got maybe a little bit more ambitious or experimental with some of the stuff they were doing and, and yeah. maybe it's the you know the the musical construction of the songs isn't the most interesting but i think also the thing that really sticks with me about the killers in general but also this album is just the strength of the songwriting in terms of the lyrics like the, the lyrics that the killers have always had this sort of ambiguous kind of like very poetic it's not really clear what they're talking about kind of vibe to it which is like it really kind of spoke to me then, and it still does. Like, I was listening to Believe Me, Natalie, and, like, I have no idea what he's singing about. He's, like, talking about go-go dancers, this might be your last chance. I'm like, who is Natalie? I need to know. But I feel like if I did, yeah. if they went and, like, told us, maybe they have an interview somewhere, but if I knew the story of that song, it might sort of, like, remove some of the magic and mystery behind it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and that's the thing about the killers, and, and is that sometimes it feels like you're listening to someone who is singing. They just ripped a page out of a book at random, and they're singing the 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 text. Like it, it's it's kind of like a lot of these out of context stories. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's really good. It's really really fascinating. And I remember when they kind of went to produce Sam's Town, um, they leaned a bit more into that storytelling and painting really vivid imagery. But there was also, they started talking a little bit more about what that album meant. And it was really focused on Las Vegas and their families and their relationships. So yeah, it was really, it's just really interesting to see how they've evolved as artists. I remember yeah. um, I mentioned that I, I lived in Saskatoon from fourth to ninth grade. And um, yeah, so I was 14 when my, my family packed up and moved to, to Edmonton where I was actually born. Um, I'm already crying. Yeah, and about honestly, it again. like, 
if there's anyone out there with kids or are planning to have kids, that age is probably like the worst time to uproot your family and move them, at least from your kid's perspective, just because it's like such a, a formative time in terms of like creating deep relationship with friends, sort of having like uh, an identity about where you live and sort of having a feeling of like, oh yeah, this is how I think and feel about my hometown and where I'm from. Uh, so having albums like the like Hot Fuss um, being linked so much to my experience living in Saskatoon and my friends there, it was it was actually kind of a nice lifeline. I don't want to sound too dramatic about it, but once I had moved to Edmonton, it was essentially moving to a new city and a new school and sort of having to start all over again. So having mm. albums like Hot Fuss or even Samstown, because I was sort of released in that same period, um, was a really nice way of sort of just holding on to that and sort of uh, remembering what it felt like to be living there. But also the next album, which I'm blanking on the name of it. Dan Age. Oh, yeah, that's Dan a good Age one too. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was in grade 11 so at the time. Good. So I was like well into um, high school in, in Edmonton. But because it still had like, a, it was a kind of a, a left turn for the killers. They went like super um, synth heavy and, yeah, exactly. Sort of like away yeah. from indie roots, but still with that killer's yeah. um, flavor to it. And having something new like that to listen to while still having that sort of fingerprint of the killers on it helped a lot too, because then I was like sort of continuing this musical journey attached to the artist, but also thinking back to to um, my memories with the with the older albums. So that was that was kind of a nice um, nice continuity in terms of sort of musical tastes and also. Um, thinking about where I was living and, and my relationships with people. Yeah. Here's a fun fact about Day and Age. Did, so Stuart Price was the producer on Day and Age. Uh, and Stuart mm. Price also produced Confessions on a Dance Floor by, for Madonna. Which you can you can kind of hear that, yeah. that similar that production over the two albums. Hey, I love it. And that's why I think I love Day and Age. And that's why I love Confessions on a Dance Floor so much. Is because I love Stuart Price. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think Stuart Price is probably the first time that I ever thought about like a new, like as a, a producer and their relationship with the artist and how they influence an artist. Anyway, that's a side, total sidebar, but yeah, Day and Age <laughs> was great, Gavin. That was, that's also a great yeah. one. Uh, Craig, do you, do you have any reflections on, uh, on Hot Fuss? What do you remember about it? I was actually thinking about my first experience with the album Hot Fuss. I had heard, of course, some of the singles, especially Mr. Brightside. And I think I was at a similar age as both of you when this album came out. I may have been one year older. And I remember just thinking this wasn't for me. I was like, eh, like I wasn't a big fan of rock at the time. But I was actually in Edmonton, funny enough, uh, when the album, around when the album had been released. And I really wanted to, I loved just going into CD stores, looking and then buying something just like on impulse. So I bought two albums. Uh, the first one was actually Ashley Simpson's <laughs> debut album. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what it was called. But that was the album. I was like, I'm buying this album. I have come for this album. I'm excited. But of course, at the time, H HMV always had those like two mm. for 15 yes. or two for 20, whatever it was deals. So I was, like, so I was perusing through and I was like, I need to pick another one. And I picked The Killer's Hot Fuss 
because I was like, well, I know this one song is popular and I enjoy listening to music that's popular. <laughs> so I bought it and I I tell you, I do not know where my Ashley Simpson CD went. Like it is gone. I don't know if I traded it, lost it, whatever. But that Hot Fuss album, I listened to it front to back and became obsessed with it and realized at that time that I had only listened to like one or two songs from it and realized that the whole album was what really drew me into the killers yeah. at the time. Well, what's great about the album, and as I was kind of listening to it again recently, uh, was that like the whole album, that front load of that album of tracks is just they're all bangers. Totally. <laughs> no, and this is the thing all bangers. like other <laughs> albums. Like, I think Hot Fuss is the only one where I can say that I'm, like, totally into every single song that's on the album. Usually when it comes to The Killers, there's, like, one yes, or two yes. where I'm just, like, not super yeah. feeling it. And then everything else is amazing. But, like, Hot Fuss is yeah. one where I'm, like, every single one is super, mm. super solid. So, Gavin, do you want to talk more I mean, about I think I've, I've, I've I covered more or less everything that I thought used to be or would be useful to say. I, I guess the other thing I maybe just wanted to say quickly about The Killers was thinking about how I felt yep. about this album and sort of the vibe it gives compare and comparing it to other albums that sort of came out at the time. One that jumped to mind was uh, that first Maroon 5 album, Songs About Jane, with, which I think sort of like came out a couple years before oh, that. Yeah. And then looking yeah. at the career trajectory of a band like The Killers and how their musical style has changed compared to something like Maroon 5, where I, in my in my opinion, Maroon 5 is just turned yeah. into this like total <laughs> sellout band. Absolutely. Because it's it's just like their current albums are so different from what they used to do compared to The Killers that have had this sort of like very organic yeah. evolution in their, their musical sound. So it's something that I really appreciate about going back and listening to something yeah. like this that I can sort of see that trajectory as opposed to the Maroon 5 where they just... So, getting into some fun little factoids and chart tidbits about The Killer's Hot Fuss. So, uh, as we already know, the album was released in 2004. What was interesting at the time was music releases weren't worldwide at the time. So, the album actually was released in the UK first on June 7th and then was released a week later on June 15th in the US. So I, I don't, I didn't find exactly why that was, but I always think that's really interesting how they chose to release albums at the time at different times in different regions. So the album went on to reach number one in the UK and number seven in the US. And actually Hot Fuck was a lot more popular in the UK than it ever was in the yeah. US. Uh, the album ended up selling 7 million copies worldwide. Uh, I'm a, from what I've read, it's still being widely streamed, so I think those numbers will inch up each year as we go along. Uh, Rolling Stone named it as number 33 on the greatest debut albums of all times list. Uh, that was kind of the highest I saw it on any greatest of charts, but it's on many, many charts, including some where it's been placed on the greatest albums of all time, let alone just debut albums. It has spent a total of 252 weeks on the UK albums chart, so that equates to about four and a half years, which is pretty crazy. The album itself went on to be nominated for Best Rock Album at the Grammys, but it lost. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. And it actually lost to Green Day's American <laughs> Idiot, which... <laughs> See, and I remember, I, I love I love 
while I loved watching the Grammys, it's such a hate-love relationship, at the time, I loved American Idiot, and I was really rooting for Green Day at the time, but I think it's yeah, safe I to say agree. that the <laughs> hot bus aged better. So it's almost like the Grammys should be held 10 years after, like, you know, we should be celebrating albums 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or they should have like some sort of best 10 anniversary album of the year or something. Anyways, so going on, so we had four singles released from this album, Mr. Brightside, which was actually the highest charting in the US at least, where it hit number 10 and it hit number 10 in the UK as well. Whereas some, somebody told me was their highest charting song in the uk where it hit number three and it actually only hit number really one in the us which i thought was really interesting yeah uh and then after that really the all all these things and smile like you mean it did very in terms of charts did not do very well in the us but still did quite well in the uk uh where all these things hit 18 and smile like you mean it uh reached 11. so it's obvious that they had more sustained success in the UK, as I've already said. Now, where things really get interesting, I think, with this kind of era of the killers, because it, it does go beyond hot fuss, is I don't know if either of you have heard about this killers murder yes, yes, yes. theory that's on the internet. I know all about this. Oh, oh, I thought, yeah, so one of the songs of this murder trilogy is the song leave the bourbon yeah. on the shelf yeah. which is on side yes super interesting yeah i know it's good i think it's it's legit so, it's, it's it's true they're telling a story in an arc <laughs> well yeah and, the, and that's why when i mentioned before about kind of how the killers chose to position the songs on the album i wonder if they had had complete creative control or maybe they did have creative control, but I just, I wonder if they had been able to say, this is the exact songs we want on the album and where they want them, if the album would have had different songs and if it would have looked differently and flowed differently because of this whole murder trilogy theory where the song, so basically how it goes is, the first song of the trilogy is Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf. Then the second one is Midnight Show. And the final song, well, and that's arguable because there's more theories here, is Jenny was a friend of mine. So basically how this story goes, which is amazing. Uh, so Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf tells a story about, and it's said in the song, a girl named Jennifer and her and her lover break up. But it's from the perspective of this ex-lover as he talks about how he wants her back and he's like so sad that this breakup has occurred. And then we move on to Midnight Show where he finds out that Jenny is sleeping with someone new and he's furious and he becomes so obsessed with her. And that song is kind of about this obsession he has with this woman i don't know if uh midnight show actually no. mentions jenny by name but then of course we have the final song which is called jenny was a friend of mine which this is where it's interesting because of course this is the opening song on hot fuss but it's the theory has it that it's the ending song of the trilogy and basically what i've read is that uh the song is 
from the perspective of the ex-boyfriend who is the presumed murderer of Jenny and the police are interviewing him and as he's being interviewed he's saying oh there's actually no motive for this because Jenny was just a friend of mine and it kind of goes through this yeah. whole thing I I, re- <laughs> I remember I got really invested yeah. when I was young like and and I remember when Leave the Bourbon <laughs> on the Shelf leaked uh, before even Sawdust was a thought but it just leaked yes. yeah. and the fuck yeah. the world went crazy <laughs> I just gave a solid F bomb. Oh yeah, I bet. Uh, but yeah. it was like, <laughs> I'm so I'm so <laughs> into this again. I gotta go listen to all three. It's truly like this amazing, amazing story. It's it's yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting story. And what's interesting? So they've only ever played. So they have played all of these songs in concert, but they've only done them in the order of the trilogy twice and every time they did that they oh, actually wow. followed the trilogy with all these things that i have done oh that's new yeah right yeah so i thought that was fun so there's a couple of theories online that like this all these things i have done is actually kind of like the afterthought to all of this and it's almost like the confession of this murder that that he did in this age of like people being obsessed with murder mystery podcasts, we have our murder mystery right here. My question is, <laughs> is it true? I love it. And maybe <laughs> we should leave it on that note because we're right straight out of time, you guys. Uh, Gavin, it was so good having you and just hearing oh. a little bit about this album, what it means to you and how it has played a part in your life. Craig, thank you so much for all your research and digging and storytelling. Uh, truly amazing. I think I got to go break up the killers again right after this. Maybe break out that murder trilogy. Uh, and we'll see Thanks all so much, of you guys. again next week on the soundboard. Bye. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. The soundboard podcast is not sponsored by that music streaming service we love. Did you know each week we make a playlist with that music streaming service? And we love it. It has every song you can think of. If you subscribe today, you get music ad-free with unlimited skips and downloads. And make sure to let that music streaming service know we sent you so that someday they will pay us for this amazing ad.